Are you in perimenopause or menopause and have questions? My co-host Andrea Donsky has a podcast called Menopause Reimagined, where she answers your questions about this phase of life. So stay tuned at the end where I will share five minutes of her amazing podcast and there will be a link in the show notes where you can go and listen to the whole episode. Andrea is brilliant and she has worked so hard and knows her stuff. So be sure to check out Menopause Reimagined after this episode of Health Power. Thanks. So I'm super excited. I have the wonderful Anna Bocino on the you know, Anna, how do you say your last name? I it's Bocino, but I honestly, either way, I, my name has been butchered so much. You can just say, Anna, who writes Eat Happy? <laughs> Listen, I'm a comic. Do you know how much my name has been butchered before I get on stage? Please welcome to the stage, Anna Vacano. <laughs> that sounded vaguely like you said vagina, but okay. Anna Bocino. I know, but I, you know, I, if you listen to the show, people know I can mispronounce Smith, right? I'm like the worst with names. So I'm really good about, okay, tell me a couple times and then I'll write it. Like if it's something that's hard for me, I'll write it out phonetically. And then sometimes I still mess up. All right, Anna, eat happy too. Eat happy too. T-O-O. It's a sequel. I, I wrote the first one. And then I was like, I just keep writing recipes, NSNG, which is also, you know, a form of low carb or the way I do it is pretty keto. Um, although I have some non-keto recipes in the book. I keep writing recipes. And then I was like, well, I learned so much from writing the first book. This second one will be a breeze. And so the first one took me four years. The second one took me three years. So it's not a breeze. The way I do it, at least. I don't knock these out quickly. I, I, I recipe test everything multiple times. I want to make sure the instructions are clear. You know, I hire a bajillion proofreaders. And even then somebody told me there's a typo uh, on one of the recipes. I was like, great internet community add it. They will let me know what we've missed. I want to talk a little bit about your comedy. When did you first know that you had this knack? Oh, well, I started doing improv in college in one of the oldest improv collegiate troops uh, at, at Emory University called Rathskeller. And Trust me, there's nothing more your parents want to hear after getting a, a, a liberal arts degree is that you're going to become an improv actor. Like, <laughs> like, it's like, not only am I going to be an actor, I'm going to be like the least profitable possible <laughs> sector of acting, an improv actor. But we did, my junior year at Emory, we started an improv theater in Atlanta and did seven shows, uh, I'm sorry, five shows a week for seven years. And then finally came out to L.A. with my husband, who I met at the theater, and our two-year-old daughter at the time, and did improv out here with UCB. And then I decided, I was like, I'm going to try stand-up. <laughs> and that went really, actually went really well. It turns out improv is a great uh, training ground for being on stage because we were, we were on stage so much. But so then my husband and I actually started two years ago because he does stand-up. I do stand-up. Obviously, a lot of our material is about being married to each other. and we ran jokes past each other. He's a professional comedy writer. He does it for a living. And um, we <laughs> we basically said, what if we got up there at the same time? I know that's weird, but what if we got up there and basically dissected marriage, made fun of marriage, put our marriage out there because now it's been 20 years, our kid has grown. And uh, wouldn't that be fun to have the he said, she said perspective? And it's been going very well because we've been headlining comedy festivals. We've been doing shows in New York, Chicago, Boston, LA. And so that's that's what we uh, that's what we do together as empty nesters. <laughs> See, that sounds so much fun. 
is very fun. Oh my gosh. See, the problem is when we're, when my husband are empty nesters, he is like, he is the, the hobby king. He writes horror novels and he guitars. And yeah, yeah, he's amazing. I'll give out a, a kevindale.com, K E V A N D A L E.com. That's the name he uses for writing. Seriously, like freaking amazing stuff. But he's, and he meditates and he does yoga and he bike rides and he runs. So he's like Mr. Hobby guy. So we've already he's talked. Not, he it. sounds super well adjusted. And then he takes out all of his, his fears and anxieties on the horror novel plot line. <laughs> That's a very well adjusted thing to do. Going on stage and telling the intimate details of your marriage is not a well adjusted thing to do, but it's cheaper than therapy. Yes. And it sounds really fun. Well, my fear with, with the empty nest is that I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to do my shows and I don't really have any hobbies. Um, so I'll have to get some and he'll like be busy all the time. But you know, the improv thing I have to say, I think I miss my calling because we go to this family camp. It's for kids who have um, families who have quirky kids, whether it's ADHD, autism spectrum or other love things. Love it. Daughter love has, it. Like, yeah. My daughter has like, she's the alphabet. She has everything. So we went love this it. summer and I did, they had an improv class and everyone's like, oh my God, Lisa, you're such a natural. So I'm like, what the hell? I'm 52 and I just discovered this talent. So maybe the empty nest years all get into improv. Yeah, you should do it. You should do it. Well, I think there's something too about being, being older, you, you kind of uh, lose your self-consciousness and Im improv, you have to lose your self-consciousness because you have to be in the moment and really hear what the other person says. And I think that's why so many corporations now are, are hiring improv teachers and coaches to come in and work with staff because it teaches you amazing listening skills and it teaches you to pick on, pick up on what's going on underneath. Like what's the subtext of what people are saying and, 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 and creating something together and using the imagination. Oh, I really like that. See, I feel like I'm a good listener from doing the show. I get really engaged. I'm sure. You know, I'm a terrible meditator, yeah. but I feel like Same. when I'm doing the show, I'm just completely engrossed in what I'm talking about with the guests. So, okay. You know, there's an improv class I saw that's going to be in my community and I keep forgetting. Do it, girl. You got to go do it. Oh, I like to go to bed at 8.30. It goes till nine. Like I'm such a baby. <laughs> oh, listen, do you know how hard it is to get on stage when they're like, the show starts at 10. You guys are going to probably go up around 11. I'm like, all right, time for how coffee. This old broad didn't want to stay up that late, but Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, next time you're in the Boston area, let me know because it's oh, for sure. Miracle. This this whole thing you're doing with your husband. Let's jump into your book, Eat Happy Two T O O, 160 plus new gluten free, grain free, low carb recipes for a joyful life. And the forward is by Vinny Torture. I'm going to ruin his name too, and I know Vinny Torturich. <laughs> Torturich. It's not easy to say. It doesn't roll off the tongue. I met Vinny five years ago. Uh, by the time this oh, airs, wow. five years. We were both headed up to be on Carol Alt's national show, A Healthy You, which I love. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, and we just, you know, the guy took us up in the elevator and we just instantly just, boom, just started chatting and really hit it off. And I've had him on my shows a bunch of time. And and I know you do a fantastic show with him. So again, I'm like, before we jump into your book, <laughs> tell us about your show, which I'm hoping to come on. So there's my little like. You know, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I got, I got a, Vinny's a very tough guy to get in touch with. Um, but yes, we, uh, Vinny came to me about eight, seven and a half, eight years ago. 
and said, hey, I wrote this book called Fitness Confidential and nobody will publish it. They said, you have to go get a platform. And they said, go start a podcast. And I had already been producing a podcast that was totally different. It was a comedic podcast called Yoda and Me. And it was with one of the executive producers of Always Sunny in Philadelphia. My husband wrote it and I was producing that. And it became like this cult hit. And that was back when like we had to update XML code in order to post a pod. Like there wasn't a WordPress interface. There was... There wasn't like easy peasy producing happening. And so Yoda and me did really well. And so word got around. And then I knew Vinny through a friend of a friend. And they said, ask Anna. And so he asked me to do it. And I was like, that sounds like so much work. And at the time, I was gluten-free food blogging because I've always loved to write recipes. And when I was diagnosed with celiac in 2002, forever ago, I made it my mission to come up with all of the things that I love to eat, but make them gluten-free. And along, you know, pizza, um, red velvet cake, key lime pie, you know, I'm half Southern and I'm half Italian. So that's like all the carb heavy foods in one nationality, (laughs) culture, ethnic experience. So I, I basically put on a bunch of weight. I just kept like slowly incrementally putting on weight as I got older. And then I had a TV show that I was on on camera was canceled and I was very devastated. I went through, I, I didn't process it very well and depression got very, very bad. And so Vinny came along kind of at the tail end of that time period where I said, oh, well, I'm not doing anything else. I'll talk to this guy. I don't even know who he is. Some Vinny. Come on. Who's Vinny? <laughs> And, um, and, and I, and I actually, at first passed on it and he said, just read my book first before you make a decision. I did. I read his book and it was so good. Oh, it's awesome. It's so good that I was like, fine, I'll do it. So we started this podcast together. We did three episodes a week for years before finally I just did the, I, now I just do the Monday show, which is kind of our flagship show. But I mean, for years, for like five years and, um, and I produced all of it. And it was all like, we were like, I guess we're growing this show because we have no choice. And there comes a certain point where you put so much effort into it. You're like, I can't stop now. And then things would kind of just jump and, and we, we'd find more people and it, it would grow more and more. And it became very obvious, number one, that we had great chemistry together. Number two, for people you know who don't even know each other, we did really have great chemistry. And number two, I needed to, I was learning from him that it was the sugar and the grains of me trying to re- replicate all these things as a gluten-free that was making, it was, it was, my blood sugars were going up. Um, I was becoming more and more insulin resistant. My thyroid was getting messed up. My hormones were messed up. I was having like crazy perimenopausal symptoms in my late thirties and it shouldn't be that bad in your late thirties. And I figured out, okay, well, I'm going to do this NSNG, no sugars, no grains thing he's talking about and redo all of my recipes with that framework in mind. And that became the start of the first cookbook. Oh, that's incredible. And you, I'm assuming you noticed a big difference in your health. Yeah. I mean, for me personally, and I always say it's an N equals one experiment because I, I'm not a scientist. I even say in the second book, go, go Google, you know, Dr. Peter Atia, Eric Westman, Google all these people. Cause I don't know. I'm not, but I will tell you for me, it changed my brain chemistry. I do not suffer from debilitating depression anymore. I, it regulated my hormones, which by the way, your brain hormones are also, you know, that's part of it. Your brain health is part of it. It regulated the female hormones. It regulated the cortisol. It regulated, um, uh, uh, what's it called? The, the insulin, the ghrelin, the leptin, all that stuff that gets very complicated. 
uh, that will cause you to put on weight. It regulated the thyroid. I am still on a little bit of nature thyroid, which is like the lowest dose. I take one grain of nature thyroid in the morning, but it's completely turned around. Oh, my triglycerides were starting to go up and now they've completely gone down. And I always, I don't even want to talk about weight loss because we all get into it for weight loss, but really then you get all these other benefits and you're like, oh, I didn't even know as I was as sick as I was. But weight loss just happens. You just will lose some weight. And I did. So, you know, but I, I now, and now we have Facebook group with like 30,000 people. My Facebook group for Eat Happy has seven or 8,000 people. And it's just time after time of like, I got off my type two diabetes medication. I got off my blood pressure medication. And I'm not saying everybody will have those results, but we are, we see so much of it. We're like, hmm, at least start there. At least start with giving up sugars and grains and see what your body's capable of doing. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And I love in the book, you have a note on food quality and you talk about cooking oils and NSNG baking and breakfast, cocktails, dairy-free. And I really like that you put in some desserts, but you have like a caveat, right? Like there's going to be yeah. some sugar because once in a while, um, but it's not something like, I think people think like my daughter, she's like, what's for dessert? I'm like, nothing. <laughs> right. Like, Have some strawberries, you know? <laughs> One berry. <laughs> I always, I said this in the first book, but this is really true. When you give up sugars and grains, your palate changes and you become that a-hole at a party who takes a bite of a strawberry that's in season and you go, oh my God, you guys. This strawberry tastes like candy and everyone looks at you like you've lost your mind and they're like, no, you know what tastes like candy? Candy tastes like candy. <laughs> oh my God, that apple's so sweet. I couldn't even eat another bite. Like you just become that person and that's okay. Yeah. Well, no, I've had grapes where I'm like, oh God, this is way too sweet. I can't even do grapes. Too sweet. Too sweet. Yeah. I do eat dark chocolate. I, I find very high, you know, 80%. 85 or 90% I stick to. Yeah. Yeah. So there's some sugar, but it's pretty low. It's pretty low. I mean, listen, I, I pretty regularly t either test blood ketones or, or urine ketones. Mm. And I, I, I just like to see like how things affect me. And I'll have a square of that dark chocolate. I am still in ketosis. It does not kick me out. That's probably because what I'm eating the rest of the day is not high carb. Um, but it's, people have a thing where I'm like, well, your, your body can get pretty good at it. And then you can have a square of dark chocolate. I, I would like for everybody to get away from this. Like, oh my God, I had two squares of dark chocolate. I'm so bad. Like I would love to get away from the good, bad mindset. That's why I have the dessert chapters in there that have some sugar because I have made a choice. I'm, I'm kind of an outlier in the low carb community because I don't care for the artificial sweeteners or the, the substitute sweeteners. Mm, okay. I don't think they taste very good. They, they upset my stomach. So this is, I'm coming purely from my perspective. I would rather figure out how to make a pumpkin pie with the least amount of sugar possible so you can make a pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. And by the way, all my Thanksgiving recipes are free up on my website because I always leave them up there because Thanksgiving is the most most difficult holiday to do when you're trying to do a lower carb thing. So I leave them all up there. You don't eat, you don't even have to buy any of my books. Just go try those Thanksgiving recipes and then you'll be a believer. Well, give us your website, Anna. Oh, AnnaVicino.com or eathappycookbook.com. I say in the book and I say repeatedly, and I say this all the time, I would rather see somebody eat a pumpkin pie made from real ingredients the, with the least amount of sugar possible, enjoy their indulgence and move on and go right back to it the next day. I 
when you constantly eat the artificial sweeteners or the substitute sweeteners, you're not retraining your palate to give up the sugar. You still will have the urge for it. So it's important to me. But I will say 100% of people who give up sugar have it again. 100% of people. There's no human out there who's like, well, I just gave it up and I never had another bite of sugar. Come on. We're, we're humans. We have celebrations. We have holidays. We have life. We have joy. We have sadness. These things are going to happen. And you're going to eat another bite of sugar again. So I'm just, that's that's why I offer up those recipes. Well, I'm going to make your pumpkin pie for sure. Because when I get one from it's the store, really- even if you get it at like a healthier, like you know they're using, you know, real ingredients, they're just way too sweet. And I'm like, and my daughter, I'm like, this is delicious. And I'm like, blah. <laughs> There's, there's a variety of applications that sugar is used for, and I have a theory that they're trying to cover up either crappy ingredients or crappy formulation, because if you add a lot of sugar, the sugar becomes very cloying and kind of covers up things. I have, I have noticed, especially in the gluten-free food space, where there's a lot of manufactured products, uh, or it, even more so if the, the gluten-free vegan space, because a lot of people aren't just allergic to gluten, they have allergies to you know soy, egg, dairy nuts, whatever. So, you know, you have to, they have to come up with these different formulas. And it's really hard because you're basically running out of ingredients to use to make a cookie. And you taste that cookie and you're like, that's all sugar because you're covering up how crappy that, you know, there's pea protein and some other weird thing. And it just doesn't, it's not, and flax meal, it's fine, but it's not, you know what I mean? I want to steal you away from Vinny. So great. (laughs) Let's get into your starters. I mean, you've got, you know, I, I look jalapeno poppers and immediately, you know, you think jalapeno poppers, I think of like, you know, fast food or those, you know, restaurants, Deep fried bar food, right? But you do it a whole, whole different way. Cause you got the almond flour. Now I'm one of those unfortunate, sad people who can't do nuts very often. Um, I'm not like a logic, but they make me really tired right. and, and I get a sore throat. And I love that you put in the book too, that you're not just using almond flour because you know that folks like me exist and it's my heart. But for people who can't yes. have almonds, let's talk about these. Well, and let me, let me speak to that because I, I, the first book I wrote definitely relied on a lot of al- almond flour for some substitute, you know, breading type of applications and some filler, you know, filling the meatloaf or, or, or breading the chicken before you fry it up. Yes. And then I realized so many people reached out to me and it's usually kids these the kids these days with their nut allergies no but they do legit have more nut allergies cuz all of our immune systems apparently are completely compromised and mine included and uh and so i invented what's called the the uh ultimate low carb pizza crust and then i had so many moms come to me and say my kid has a nut allergy and that uses some almond flour in it so i invented the cauliflower pizza crust and now i've invented the pork rind pizza crust, which personally, I hate pork rinds. They really gross me out. But I got to say, I made that pork rind pizza crust. So I was like, whoa, that is a good pizza crust. But so I am constantly trying to think of ways to to make different substitutes so that you can cook stuff. Uh, I, I would say you could even just make the jalapeno poppers without any almond flour on it or just do a little bit of uh, flax and coconut coconut flour sprinkled over it, or you could just bake it and and have it just be like a cheesy jalapeno, a cheesy stuffed jalapeno, and it would still be yummy. But yes, I, I kind of am obsessed with comfort food, any and all kinds of comfort food. I'm obsessed with, I'm obsessed with finding like substitutes for Italian food, Asian food, 
um, all the things that we aren't able to have. The moment you say, that's it, I'm cutting out sugars and grains, or I can't have gluten, you can't go to pretty much any Asian restaurant because you're going to get sick. And so, or you just go and you do get sick and then you suffer through it. I'm trying to offer things, but bar bars, you know what I mean? Bar food is really hard to find stuff that's low carb. So I'm just trying to come up with some things that are fun and comforting, but they have to be good. I don't put any, any crappy no, recipes. Not at There's all. no duds. Well, I actually made your, um, cause I love slow cooking, slow cooker, uh, Ropa Vieja blank. Oh my God. That is delicious. <gasps> yes. Ropa Vieja is so good. I will find that a lot of, um, it's funny because, you know, homemade corn tortillas are probably like one of, you know, God, God's greatest creations. But when you're giving up carbs, you're not going to have those on a regular basis. But I do find that the the stewed meats from the Latin cultures are so perfect for low carb. So that's why, and I live in my neighborhood here in North Hollywood is 88% Hispanic on the last census. So I am just constantly going, let's get Peruvian, let's get Mexican, let's get El Salvadorian, let's, let's get Cuban. Like I have access to the best. And so I can, you know, sit and talk with people and say, how do you make this? I want to make that, you know, and it's kind of actually fun to have, uh, someone's abuela in the back of the restaurant. And I just, I will, I will corner your abuela and ask her how she makes the things. <laughs> when you have a dish that's so good, you want, you want to, I mean, I still go back and always get it at that place, but I'm always like, Ooh, how can I make this at home too? I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, Actually, I should I should make some shrimp with garlic and oil in the next one. Once you have had a wonderful dog, a life without one is a life diminished. That's a quote by author Dean Coots, and I couldn't agree more. I want my wonderful dogs to live as long as possible, and what they eat plays a huge role in their health and longevity. Kibble is full of seed oils that wreak havoc on our dog's health. They damage their microbiome, which affects digestion, oral health, their skin and coat, and more. And that's why I feed my dog, Benji, Yum Woof. Their air-dried food is GMO-free and has an inflammation-reducing recipe with omega-3 and coconut oil. It's all the benefits of fresh food without the fridge, carbs, fillers, seed oils, and other inflammatory ingredients you see in other brands. Yum Woof obsessively crafted a healthy, low-carb food with humanely raised USDA meat, eggs, and other non-GMO superfoods that my dog loves. Try the number one air-dried dog food for gut health for 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. That's 50% off a trial of Yum Woof. Go to www.yumwoof.com. That's www.yumwoof.com. You and your dog will be so glad you did. I, I, I People ask me too, like, can you come up with the NSNG substitute for, you know, insert impossible <laughs> thing to replicate, yep. like a donut or a corn tortilla or a, you know, whatever. And I'm always like, no, I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, we could come up with like a grain-free wrap, but it's not going to be a corn tortilla. And that's okay. Save that for when you really, you know, because there's just certain properties in corn that make that corn tortilla the most amazing thing. It is. Well, you also have, which I haven't made yet. It looks so good. A red and green chili chili. Yeah, that's more of a Texas or Southwestern style chili, but it uses the red peppers instead of the tomatoes for the redness. And I call it red and green chili because you're using red and green chilies, but obviously the red takes over and it just becomes like a nice, bright, red, flavorful. You've got all kinds of things that are so good. I also am a huge fan. I love scallops. 
you have escallops over braised fennel and wilted spinach. You've got, uh, I also love shrimp. You've got a coconut mango cauliflower rice. I love cauliflower rice. I have that in my cookbook too, Clean Eating Dirty Sex. Not about dirty sex, cookbook, memoir, healthy lifestyle. But I have to throw that in. People <laughs> don't get the humor. So I thought, I know you get it. <laughs> I get it. Salad with grilled shrimp. That looks really good. What are some of your favorite recipes in the book? Well, you know, it's funny. I'm flipping through it right now and I'm looking at, for instance, broccoli fritters. And, you know, it, they're, we're all, especially moms, trying to figure out ways to get vegetables into our children. And so what's not to love about some pan-fried vegetable? You know what I mean? Like it's a fritter, croquette, fritter, crab cake, whatever, you know, cake, whatever you want to call it. Um, I I love, God, oh my God. I, well, the fried green tomatoes are my my history and my, I'm Southern. So, you know, I'm from Virginia. That's what we had. Um. I love, oh, the Instant Pot beef pho is really good. And that's uh, one of my best friends that I've known for 25 years. His mom is Vietnamese and she would make pho and she would make chaya and she would make um, uh, spring rolls. And I I have yet to figure out how to make an NSNG chaya. But until then, we can have the pho. I just had to take out the hoisin and take out the the bun, the rice noodles. Um, Jeannie's seafood stew is amazing. That's my friend Jean. Oh yeah. Recreating poke bowls was important to me because I kind of got into the poke bowl craze for a little while and I was able to figure out how to do it low carb because they have zucchini noodles and they have, or you could just do it on, on lettuce, uh, what's it called? Greens. And then I started to find out that their ingredients of their sauces were just really crappy. And I was like, you know what? Let's just make it at home. So the poke bowls to me was a super fun thing to do at home. I I like, listen, my work week is so insanely busy. And now that I work with NBC doing their promos, I am busy every night from 4.30 until about 7.30 or 8. So that really kind of interrupts what could be a more lengthy time to make dinner. So weeknights are always the super fast stovetop things or something that I've been able to marinate earlier in the day that we throw on the grill. So there's a lot of those kind of recipes. And then there's what I call the Sunday recipes, like the red and green chili chili that take more time and are more labor intensive. And then, of course, there's a breakfast chapter for those of you who eat breakfast. I don't really, but I love I love all these recipes. They make me want to eat breakfast. I am hungry and I'm looking at the green curry sweet yeah. potato noodles with eggplant. That I, I do have a few vegetarian ones thrown in there from, from my, my plant powered awesome. people. That's one of them. But you know what's interesting is online I'll catch flack about that because it has a sweet potato in it. And I'm like, everyone, calm down. Calm down. No, it's it's a really nice dish. It's quite delicious. You can get the uh, Thai Kitchen brand red curry paste or green curry paste, and they actually don't add sugar into it. And you could mix that in with vegetables. You could mix it into a, a Instant Pot thing or a slow cooker thing, and it really adds a nice flavor. And you feel like you get... You get the taste of Thai food without like the sugar bombs because Thai food restaurants, Thai food's amazing. It's such an amazing cuisine. Um, but at least in, here in the States, they they load it up with sugar. Oh, it's way too sweet. Um, I probably made that clear that I don't like things that are too sweet. I'm like, let me complain some more. <laughs> you brought up the fried green tomatoes because I was looking at those. So when once in a while, when I can have nuts, I do maybe once a month or so. I will make those with the almond flour because they look really yummy. And I've never had fried green tomatoes and I really want to. They're really good because you do you do have to get the unripened tomatoes and 
<clears throat> in the South, you know, everybody grows tomatoes in the summer. Well, and also, too, if you're Italian, everybody grows tomatoes. So I'm just like born and bred to grow tomatoes. And there are always some tomatoes that you know just aren't going to turn. You know, they're just not going to ripen. So you take them and you you slice them into thick slices and you make these fried green tomatoes. And by the way, you could do it without the almond flour. You could do uh, just do the coconut flour and some and some flax meal. But f- and you'll still get that crunchy kind of outside. But what happens is that since they're unripened tomatoes, they have a, a, an acid to them, you know, because tomatoes are acidic, but they, but they, when they ripen, their flavor really mellows. But when they're green, they have a, a more acidic flavor. So you have the richness of the fried outside coating and then you bite into it and it's like this warm, acidic tomato. It's a really cool thing. And I'm surprised more people don't eat fried green tomatoes because they're delicious. Oh, yeah. They look amazing. You know, I was really excited about, or I am really excited about the cookie cutter cookies because yes. every holiday season, my daughter will say, well, let's make sugar cookies. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no. So these look really good. And again, they're almond flour, which is fabulous because almond flour is good. And one tablespoon coconut sugar. I'm looking at these going, and then just half a cup of coconut nectar or honey. That is really low. For it's, cookies, it's really low. So I'm this year. <laughs> Listen, here's what you could do: taste, taste the batter as you're making it. If you feel like they're not sweet enough, you can always add more. Um, again, I am trying to make the recipe with literally the least amount of sweet to make it work. And how I discovered this was in the first book, the Paleo Pumpkin Pie. Um, I tried to make it pumpkin pie without any sugar, and it was interesting because it smelled amazing. How we all love that pumpkin spice smell all that whole blend of spices. And then you took a bite of it and it has the texture of pie and it has the scent of pie, but it had zero flavor. It didn't taste, it tastes like air. And that's when I realized, oh, the sugar is what marries all those flavors together so that we have the taste sensation that we do. And so I started, and I probably made that one seven times before I found out the exact ratio of spice to sweet. And so I kind of moved forward with that. And these cookie cutter cookies are... You know, when I first got married, my mom gave me a a Joy of Cooking or a Betty Crocker cookbook. I can't remember. And so I made these sugar cookies out of that. And they were so, they were normal. Actually, at the time when I got married, they felt normal. It felt normal to make those. And then, you know, you make up some buttercream frosting and you're done. And cut to 20 (laughs) years later, it's now been adapted and pared down to now it's no grains at all. It's very little sugar. And the frosting must be dairy-free. I can't do butter and... uh, powdered sugar frosting anymore. So, well, they look amazing. It's evolved so much and they are, I mean, it's different when you, when you cook with, with real flour, you know, it's very pliable and forgiving, but these, there's not grains to hold it together. So when you do the cookie cutter step, you've got to be real careful about transferring them onto the baking sheet, but it does the trick. All right. Well, I'm really glad about that. Now we only have a few minutes left. I honestly would love to talk to you forever. Uh, drink happy. I love you. I love this. You write, I'm asked on a daily basis, what sort of adult beverages we can enjoy now that we've cut out sugar. And while the trusty vodka soda with lime is great, it gets boring. So talk to us a little bit about these. We've got a low carb strawberry margarita. Okay. So this is another one of those interesting chapters where I debated putting it in, but legit every single day, somebody says, I just gave up sugars and grains. What alcohol can I have? And you know, we can't, not that you can't have beer and wine, but if you have beer and wine, especially in the beginning, especially beer, it's going to mess with your progress. 
Like it's, you know, we, we don't like look at the, uh, a guy with a big gut and go, man, that guy got a strawberry gut. You know, it's called a beer gut for a reason because that's what it does to you. So, you know, and I, and everyone knows the, the vodka soda with lime is the, or tequila soda with lime or, you know, a straight shot of whiskey. That's, those are all good for low carb. Distilled alcohol is good for low carb. But <clears throat> then I like going to these places where they have the mixologists and they make all the things. And, and I actually like took a class on it several years ago about how to make a proper cocktail. And I was like, you know what, let's, let's make this a little more exciting. And if you have fruit in season and you have, you always need with a cocktail, you need the alcohol component, the sweet component, the bitter component, and the herbal component. Now a traditional cocktail, <clears throat> excuse me, my God, I have a frog. Um, the traditional cocktail uses a regular liquor and a sweet liqueur and some sort of sugar, like simple syrup agave, you know, things like that, um, as the sweet and possibly also fruit. Now that's too much. You cannot have, you cannot drink liquid sugar. I'm sorry, but you can't and expect to make progress with this. <clears throat> so I'm trying to come up with different solutions using just a little bit of fruit for it. I do. I will say this. If you are metabolically challenged, meaning you have a lot of weight to lose, you have a really high A1C, you're really grappling with some health issues. And first of all, I would say when you first go low carb, try to give up alcohol altogether for the first month or two. Because the alcohol, your liver prioritizes digesting the alcohol above everything else. And what you need to be doing is cleaning out the system. You know what I'm saying? So that's my warrant. That's my caveat that I want to give. But who am I to get in the way of having a good time also to these drinks, they're like a mix. There's that joke on Portlandia where it takes the the bartender, the mixologist, like an hour to make each drink. <laughs> I love Portlandia. Mixology drinks do take more time. So that will slow down your drinking just because it's going to take you more time to make the cocktail. But yeah, so I, I'm basically using the, uh, oh, I forgot about the, uh, the, there's herbal, the citrus. You have to have citrus in there. You have to have an acid in there. So acid, sweet, herbal, alcohol. And uh, so the sweet's using a little bit of fruit. I always put a little bit of herbal in there and you can kind of mix and match. And you'll now that you know that when you look at these recipes, you're gonna like, okay, this looks good, but I don't care for gin. I'm gonna make it with vodka or I'm gonna look at this uh, watermelon mint martini, but I'm gonna make it with uh, white rum instead because that sounds great. Yeah, they're all really good. I'm looking at them right now. It's, it's early, we're recording this early in the morning and um, I'm looking at it going, I could do a vodka Bellini. Yeah. Well, I don't even drink. So I love that you offer that you can just omit the alcohol. Yes. You can totally omit the alcohol and just add more uh, soda water. And I, I, you know, I make my own soda water and I use the, the LaCroix and the whatever, you know, those kind of things, whatever you want to do. It's up to you. This is what I always say. You, you guys out there ma making food for your families, you're adults. You can choose if you don't want to have this or that. If you don't drink, make a make a mocktail if you want to. If you don't like this egg recipe, don't don't make it. Make something else. That's why I've tried to give a wide variety of stuff. Well, you have. I, I honestly, I have to get you from Vinny somehow. I know you're like I'm busy from <laughs> in the morning till seven p.m. and I'm like, was there a time difference? Like, well, well, there's time at nine p.m. <laughs> yes, and you're doing this thing with your husband. You're traveling, and then tell me, you mentioned about you're doing voiceover for NBC. What were you saying? 
Yeah, that's my day job is I'm a voice actor and I've I've been very blessed to do everything. I've been doing it for 20 years and um, I am the voice of NBC for The Tonight Show, for all their comedies, for uh, Late Night with Lily Singh, for all their reality shows. So right now, especially, they're about to launch the fall shows. So you'll hear a lot of me if you turn on NBC. Ooh, no more. Whether you like it or not, they're going to play it. (laughs) Well, I think you are absolutely fantastic. And I would love for you to come back. I mean, just so much fun. Eat Happy 2, T-O-O, 160 plus new gluten-free, grain-free, low-carb recipes for a joyful life. Anna Bocino. All right, Anna, tell us again all the ways to find you. Okay, I'm at Anna Vicino on all the socials. You can go to Amazon to find Eat Happy and Eat Happy Too. You can go to eathappycookbook.com if you just want to look at pictures and you don't feel like ordering anything. You can go to annavicino.com as well. for uh, I have a bunch of recipes up there for free if you want to try before you buy. Yeah, go to Instagram. Instagram is the place where I'm the most. I have the Eat Happy Facebook group. I'm there a lot too. Uh, my audience is the best audience on the planet. So if you ever have questions, they will all chime in because they're all a bunch of really fanatic cooks who cut out carbs a long time ago. So I, I feel like, you know, I have this like team of happies. They're great. Oh, that's so awesome. I think you are fabulous. Thank I hope Lisa. you come back. When you hear the word perimenopause and menopause, women probably come to mind. But did you know that men can also experience male menopause? That's coming up right now. Hi, everyone. I'm Andrea Donsky, co-founder of Morphous. And today I'm here with my really good friend, Bryce Wild, a functional medicine expert. Welcome to Morphous, Bryce. Andy, how are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm happy that you're on the show and we're going to be talking male menopause. So when I first asked you to come on the show and I'm like, what should we talk about? You're like, let's talk about male menopause. And I, I got to be honest, I didn't even realize that men can go through menopause as well. We do. Uh, I affectionately refer to this as man-o-pause, so switch out of the E for an A. Um, although men are still in there, if you call it menopause, technically it's referred to as andropause, and it's been acknowledged perhaps over the last 30 years in uh, clinical sciences. And just like women, uh, this whole process starts in our early 30s, whereas for us, testosterone starts to take a slow and steady decline, actually about 1% uh, per year. Uh, of age, um, all the way through to our 80s and 90s. The difference between men and women, of course, women will slowly decline with estrogen, then all of a sudden have a real uh, cutoff when their ovaries stop producing estrogen, uh, whereas ours is a slow, steady you know, uh, decline. Here's some alarming statistics, though, for you. you know, but 40% of us, as of age 30, are already clinically low. So I'll also share with your viewers how to test appropriately, not just skim the surface test for testosterone, but really do the deep dive to know whether or not you're low and should top up on things like herbs and supplements. And of course, diet, lifestyle, all that's very important. We'll share all of that information with your viewers. But you know, it's, it's interesting because you know, observational studies have seen consistent results uh, within people uh, who are in particular overweight due to low testosterone, uh, overweight or even obese for that matter. Um, the greater the weight loss, the greater the testosterone increase. And so we'll talk about that uh, as well, hopefully. So, um, you know, 
here are the symptoms as it pertains to male-based menopause or manopause or andropause. They're all interchangeable. We've got low energy. And a lot of this sounds similar to those in uh, of the female variety going through uh, menopause. Uh, low energy, depression, sadness, uh, inability to lose weight, decreased motivation, lowered self-confidence. That's a big one. Difficulty concentrating, lacking motivation, uh, insomnia, sleeplessness, increased body fat. Um, you know, a lot of women that are listening to this are like, yeah, my man's doing that as I did when my estrogen started to decline. And so, you know, one of the strongest observational studies, Andrea, is between obesity, uh, carrying too much fat, the big beer belly, and of course, uh, the man boobs. Uh, that all relates to carrying too much estrogen for us guys. And once we lose that weight, uh, that fat tissue comes off, we start to really see a strong increase in testosterone. So we'll get into all of that as well. So just so I understand clearly, so for women, when we're going into menopause, it's the decrease in estrogen, but for men, it's a decrease in testosterone. So for men, you got it. okay. So for men, you're saying is when, if they're, if they're obese and they actually lose the weight now, is this even is, so when for women, it's mostly like, obviously perimenopause is 35 plus, but when you're around the age of 50, 51 and a half, we know the average age of women in menopause, it, it to increase that estrogen, I would think that just losing weight isn't going to increase the estrogen, but that isn't the case when it comes to male menopause. I, I just want to understand exactly kind of like how well, that It's works. a great point that you bring up. So a couple of things to keep in mind, maybe we'll do the deep dive in genetics. Everyone's different. So you can have a man who has a slight propensity to be estrogen dominant. And we'll talk about those characteristics. Uh, they are kind of like me, uh, full head of hair into my late forties. Um, you know, I retain, uh, you know, have a, a more difficult time retaining muscle mass, got to work my butt off in the gym to do that. Whereas you have a male who's otherwise bald um, and ripped and he only has to go to the gym a couple of times a week, that's testosterone dominant. Um, and we'll get into the intricacies of that. But at the end of the day, that guy is going to have an easier time through andropause or manopause mm -hmm. than I will because I've already shown, and I've done my DNA to know this, I've already shown that I can be a little more estrogen dominant as a guy. And so as I lose or taper off my testosterone, estrogen will be that much more uh, dominant in me. Uh, now, it's the opposite for women. Women lose their estrogen quite quickly, and that's the true menopause. And there is the perimenopause, so it does dwindle down. But as of the, about the age 45 to 50, you know, early 50s, depending on the female, um, you can have an estrogen dominant female. Uh, or you can have a testosterone-dominant female. And the way they present differently, similar to the physiology that that testosterone-dominant female, she'll have you know, lots of muscle striations, very little uh, deposits of fat, you know, very little um, uh, you know, uh, cellulite, uh, if you look closely at the skin. Um, and she'll have an easy time losing weight. Whereas the estrogen-dominant female, she has a lot harder time. Uh, through menopause because that crash is even more accentuated. And so in order to compensate for that, estrogen then is produced in the fat tissue as well as the breasts and some other uh, tissues such as the uterus and fallopian tubes uh, in the female body. So, you know, you, what your body does quite intuitively, uh, biochemistry is quick to in, in, enact the fat tissue storage mechanism because of that sharp decline in estrogen, especially for the estrogen dominant woman, she is going to purposely put on fat tissue to compensate for that significant decline. Similar things are happening for the male, but the, but the opposite way. 
for women who are watching right now and like, oh my gosh, my husband or my partner or my brother, father, uncle might be going through this. What are some things that they can look out for to make them watch this video? Because I think that's the key is for men to understand their bodies and what they could possibly be going through at this, at a certain age. Like you said, it can start in their thirties and upwards. Absolutely. So again, so let's run through the list. It's, it, you know, what we see are very similar symptoms, but again, for us, it's due to a decline, slow and steady over time of testosterone. So we're talking about mental, emotional symptoms, uh, you know, low energy. We're talking about depression, sadness, uh, lack of motivation, lack of concentration or focus, uh, troubles with sleep, uh, reduced muscle mass. That is a huge one. It's, it's hard to put on muscle if testosterone is not high enough in both men and women, by the way, uh, the man boobs, that's a big visual cue and the, the beer belly, uh, frankly, maybe we'll get into the microbiome, the gut when that's not supported, there's too much yeast overgrowth and or not enough good bacteria there. You have a hard time remaining, um, hormonally balanced whether you're female or male. Um, erectile dysfunction, we talk about that, that's a huge one. Loss of libido and erectile dysfunction, that's an obvious blatant set. That sleeplessness and depression is key for us as clinicians to signal that, yeah, of course this man is going through uh, likely menopause. And again, the stats are clear. 10% are truly deficient in testosterone and have actual clinical symptoms uh, for low testosterone leading to true andropause. And another 40% of us guys, starting age 30, Starting age 30, have subclinical, that is to say not overt symptoms, but we're running low on testosterone. Stress is a big contributor. It's number one North American-wide silent killer, uh, and it's because of low adrenal function. And in guys, low adrenal function, you're not pumping out that precursor to, to testosterone called DHEA. Uh, it's a precursor to all hormones because the adrenals are fatigued or overly stressed. What are you doing? Your cortisol is high, you're putting on weight, and you're dipping into your testosterone reserve. So that's obviously no, uh, no good. So, so coming full circle really to your question, what do you do? Um, number one is get tested, right? So at the very top I said, we'll talk about that, maybe now's the right time. Getting tested to confirm whether or not you actually have low testosterone is so important, uh, and not just looking at testosterone, because your doctor might confirm, yeah, no problem, we can run this test, and they'll do blood tests and say, yeah, looks every, like everything's fine. Testosterone comes in a variety of shapes and sizes. So tightly bound testosterone uh, to a protein hormone called sex hormone binding globulin, okay. your body can't access that. So you can test for these things. You can test for testosterone and you can test for sex hormone binding globulin to know how much is bound and unusable. Then you can test for uh, loosely bound testosterone, regular testosterone. It's a little easier to use, but it's still hard to use. The real biomarker that the giveaway based on normal values is free testosterone, free or bioavailable testosterone. That's what our bodies can actually use. If that's low, that's a dead giveaway. Um, so again, sex hormone binding globulin, SHBG, uh, bioavailable or free testosterone. And then the third one you want to look at on your blood or serum is DHT, dihydrotestosterone. So that's kind of like the strongest form of, 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 uh, of uh, testosterone. And that's, by the way, where those testosterone dominant males uh, are going to lose their hair. The advantage is, of course, they gain muscle mass very easily, but they often experience male pattern baldness at a very early age. You and I both know of, of a trick that works, supplemental trick, we'll get into that in a sec, but, but DHT has a negative consequence, and that is, it might sound great, like yeah, muscle mass and all that wonderful stuff, but that predisposes us guys 
to prostate cancer and, and, and even benign prostate hypertrophy uh, and therefore urinary tract issues and all kinds of things. So getting tested is key. Here's another thing, vitamin D, zinc, magnesium. These are trace minerals elements. Vitamin D is an incredibly important hormonal precursor to testosterone. You can check for these on blood as well. 25 OHD, vitamin D, that's key. Yeah, zinc, cool. zinc and copper ratios. And even red blood cell uh, level magnesium. Those three are really, really important to look at. Uh, and then, Andy, one more thing bioimpedance analysis. Not stepping on the scale, not a tanita, not a caliper pinch, but bioimpedance analysis. You get that done. It's a, it's a harmless electrode that feeds uh, information through your body and it picks up on how much fat tissue you have. There are optimal ratios, you know, as guys, depending on your age. And of course, that muscle mass, you want optimal muscle mass and you want optimal fat tissue, minimal fat tissue. Otherwise, you're simply feeding estrogen into your system and your testosterone's already starting to tank. Um, and that's a double whammy. Okay. So, so many questions going through my mind. Number one. So when you're going to the doctor, I just want to summarize for a second. So you go to the doctor, men, you're going to the doctor, you want to ask your doctor for three different types, because you mentioned there's probably five different types of, of testosterone, but you want to ask them for three main ones, the free testosterone and the two other that you mentioned. These are blood tests that you can ask them for, or is it better to get a urine test or a saliva test for it? If we start getting really technical in my own clinical practice, I will always do both blood and urine and even genetics. 